Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this weekly journey that we call Living Hope, designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer. Sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. We've got a couple of experts with us today. They've been on this journey. Welcome Roberta Luna and her friends. Thank you, Paul. It's nice to be back again. And yes, it's um, really great. I'm really happy to have Susie Lemieux with us. Uh, she is a six-year pancreatic cancer survivor. And her daughter, Natasha Martin, they both have a unique journey, I think, to share. And Susie and I um, have a lot in common on this journey, and I really want to hear her talk about it. So thank you both for being here. And Susie, do you want to kind of start us off? Sure, absolutely. So my journey began in 2014 when my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic pancreatic cancer. Um, we had not heard of pancreatic cancer. It was a new thing. And he lived for 11 months and he passed away. He had received chemo radiation and the Whipple surgery. And after he passed away, six months after he passed away, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So I had a lot of people reaching out to me and asking, you know, is it contagious? How did you come by this? <laughs> My journey, my walk with pancreatic cancer, I didn't have anything to compare it to other than him, and so I assumed that I, too, within a year would probably be be dead. And my daughter, uh, Natasha, who's here with me um, today, is uh, became my caregiver. Um, and I moved from the state of Indiana, where my husband and I had lived, back to California. And um, I live with her now, and she became my caregiver. My journey took a little different uh, path in that... Um, I went on to an alternative uh, route of my for my healing. I went through a pretty powerful, profound conversion shortly after my re return to California. And I was led and prompted through my faith um, along certain, to follow certain protocols. And, and right after that happened, there were people that came into my life. And one of the uh, things that I was led uh, to do was to listen to my daughter, that Natasha would be very, very involved in my healing journey. And she connected me with um, an integrative oncologist who believed um, in embracing alternative therapies. And so I began the journey of doing a lot of research, a lot of advocating for myself. I dug very deeply into epigenetics and nutrigenomics and the microbiome. I began to follow um, alternative uh, people that, that, that were in the natural health and holistic space, and I embraced those therapies, and I began to receive along with the chemotherapy, which I'm glad that I did receive, uh, but my whole outlook, um, my whole uh, my perception of things, how I how I thought, my my behavior, my lifestyle, everything. I went through some very radical changes, um, and those shifts in my perception and in my thoughts and my beliefs and my emotions and everything kind of, I think, shifted the expression of my genes and and brought me into my healing. So there were there were things that I did um, high high dose vitamin C. Um, I. Uh, began to see a reflexologist who became very, I think, she, she's a healer, and she became very pronounced in my life. I uh, connected with a spirit, mind, body oncologist. I call her the uh, cancer whisperer, um, <laughs> and she's been a big part of my healing journey. Um, and, you know, instead of uh, 
I, I changed, I made radical lifestyle changes. So I changed my diet. I changed my lifestyle. I changed the food that I ate, the, the, the products that I used, the, you know, the, the water that I drank. I just, I was very in tune with everything. I learned to meditate. I learned to be mindful. I slowed down. Um, and instead of passing in the years, I was told I probably would do. And I was told that without treatment, I would definitely not be here in eight months. I'm now six years out. And Natasha has been my caregiver and a, just a huge part of, of my healing journey. And I thank God every day. I was given extra years to rediscover my daughter and to get to know my grandson. So it's been great. <laughs> yeah, sometimes um, it's been great. Me. Yeah, sometimes. Well, you know, sometimes getting a diagnosis like that, I mean, it, it changes our life. I, I, mm -hmm. I always say, and people don't understand, it changed my life for the better. And I wouldn't, if I were given the opportunity to take it back, I wouldn't take it back. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe for the loss of my family that I would change, but I wouldn't change my own diagnosis because mm -hmm. it has. I think, you know, not that I was a horrible person, but it has made me a better person. Mm -hmm. It's opened my eyes and just made a big difference. Um, I know, just to be clear, did you do any like traditional treatment to begin with, like chemo or anything first? So I did, yes, and I'm glad that I did. Um, but the and and I I went through Fulfirinox about six months worth of Fulfirinox, and I did end up um, having the Whipple the surgery. Um, but my whole approach, uh, even to the chemotherapy, was that I viewed it as a healing elixir. Like instead of this this toxic uh, cocktail of, of drugs that was coursing through my body, and instead of looking at this disease as something that I had to fight, um, I embraced it as being a part of who I was and that it needed I needed to heal. I wanted to heal it. And so, yes, answer your question. Yes, I had chemo, and it was very toxic. <laughs> it is, uh, especially that one is a very tough one. Um, did you have, I'm sure, yes, you had side effects, but any lasting side effects from, from the drug? Probably the most lasting effect that I can think of is, is my, my thinking, my thought process. Sometimes I have difficulty, you know, putting words in place, and sometimes I have difficulty uh, putting things in the right sequential order and processing um, how I'm thinking. Um, and Natasha will sometimes help me along with that. She'll she'll catch me, or I'll make a statement, um, and then she'll she'll help me out. But the neuropathy and things like that came back. I did experience some of that. As a result of the surgery, I ended up being diabetic, but I was able to reverse that with my lifestyle changes and my diet changes. Um, so I was able to heal from that. And you know, they say that 95% of all cancers and um, diseases are due to something else. Only 5% are familial or genetic. Um, and so my thinking going into this, I knew that I had to follow a different path than my husband. Um, I didn't know any better then as a caregiver. Um, but I believe that if in any way that I contributed to the development of this disease, either through the way I used to live or the way I used to think or the, you know, the stress, you know, they say stress will bring on disease and it certainly does, that if I had done anything to bring this about, then I could certainly do something to try to heal it and to bring my body back into harmony. It sounds, I mean, you were looking for an excuse or a reason why. Were you going through any kind of like uh, survivor guilt because you did develop pancreatic cancer? No, but I think, I think, you know, when, when you're a caregiver and you've lived, I mean, I went through a, a year and a half 
of the symptoms that he had up until his diagnosis and then with him through his treatment. It wasn't so much guilt as it was feeling that I, you know, I wish I could have done more to help him. And, and I think that being a caregiver, you learn, you learn a lot, of course, uh, that I was able to apply to my own life than once I was diagnosed um, in terms of, you know, the early symptoms, catching it early. When I, how they caught it with me was I one day had, had woken up and, and I had these very mild um, abdominal, dis- it wasn't even pain, it was just discomfort. And I contributed that to stress. So I'd been through, you know, 15 months of a lot, a lot of intense stress in my life. Um, I, st- I quit my job to, you know, take care of him. And and so our country doctor, we lived in a rural part of Indiana, our country doctor who had walked with him through his journey, um, suggested that I get in a CT scan just to rule it out. And I think it was more to appease me than anything else. And there it was. Yeah, I know you've made a comment some many times when we talk, and I feel the same way as you do, and that is that it's tougher being the caregiver than it is to be the patient. And now mm-hmm. that you've been on both sides of the fence, do you still feel that way? Absolutely. Yeah, because you you feel helpless. You see somebody that you love go through pain. I mean, disease, disease is, is especially pancreatic cancer, is complicated. It's painful and it's scary. And when you are the person that's in the helping position to try to, to help and to care and to provide care, and um, you want to do so much and you don't know what to do, uh, but the person who's living with the cancer, they're okay with it. They, they come to a, a place of resolution, I think. And there's no control as a caregiver. Mm-hmm. And there's no control as a patient, really, either. Well, in some ways, you have a little more control because at least, like you said, you changed your, your treatment. You know, right. you went a little bit different. So that, mm-hmm. that is a little bit of control, at least, yeah. in doing something. And I, I know being the caregiver for my mom and dad was, was very difficult. And being the patient mm-hmm. was totally different. And mm-hmm. even Vic has mentioned, and he's got the nickname Nino Fix It because he can fix everything. And mm-hmm. he's like, I can fix everything. Why can't I fix you? Yeah. And, you know, it's very tough to be in that position. And mm-hmm. I totally understand being there myself. And Natasha, I know you have played a, a great part in your mom. You've been very active and, and been there for her. Did you were you the one that suggested the her trying a different treatment other than the traditional? Well, having walked through Peter's journey with her, you know, I, I feel like I was kind of walking alongside of her, you know, countless hours on the phone learning about the disease and his journey and the research that she was doing and, you know, help that she was getting, you know, when she was in Indiana and I was in California. And uh, so when she had her diagnosis and then I was kind of in the shoes that she had been in with her husband, uh, I, I felt like, I, okay, now's the time to level up. You know, mm-hmm. like obviously everything we learned was good, but we need to level up now and figure out like what, what more can we do? Um, and I had been given a book a while back, um, the truth about cancer. And it was just kind of laying around the house and I had mentioned it to her and said, Hey, here's some additional research and reading we can do. And I think that's really what opened the door to her, um, to some of that. But also I had been reading through it and discovering some things and doing a lot of my own research. And, and as she said, um, her oncologist is amazing and he is integrative and he does believe in integrative therapies. And so, every little bit of research that I would do and run by her, she would say, yeah, let's ask him about that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the next 
eight-hour day in the chemo infusion room, we would have a list of questions and different ideas and different therapies and, you know, what are your thoughts on this and why? And, and he was very gracious and he would sit and talk with us for a long time and, um, and help us kind of figure out what, what was doable and what wasn't and kind of his thoughts why. And then we would go back and research that. So um, I think that it all played a major impact, but I don't think that I could have got where I got it had she not gone through her journey first. And that really being the, the, the jumping off point for us to figure out a different way around it, you know, like a new way of, of looking at, at the treatment. And it's hard to find. I mean, I've been lucky as well as my doctor is, you know, he's traditional, but he also, when he knew what I wanted to do, has been very agreeable and worked with my holistic doctor as well, so that we're kind of on the same page. The supportive team. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, yeah. And I think that is what's changed, because when I made my changes back in 2018, in um, October or so, my last chemo was in December of 2018. Tumor's still there, but it's not doing anything, and that's fine. Yeah. And that's because I'm not as dedicated as your mom, so, and, but I want, I would love to be. But um, I think those small changes that I made, you know, really did help. But can you dive in a little deeper to the changes that yeah, you made so, when you did? You know, I, I believe, okay, so six years ago, I did not believe this, but I, through this six-year journey, and I'm still learning, is, is that I believe that the human body is capable of miraculous things. And I believe that, that the human body is a intelligent, intelligent system um, that's so deeply connected to our minds and to the world around us, and that we were brilliantly designed to self-regulate and to heal and um, through the work and the research and I mean I I listened to documentaries and I bought books and I read peer-reviewed articles and I dug deeply into epigenetics and nutrigenomics which is just the study of how does food and the food constituents things that we put in our body affect the expression of our genes how does our our thoughts, our emotions, um, our our beliefs? How can that um, create changes to um, how, so that uh, in our gene expression? So that just because your parent might have Alzheimer's or you came from a, a mother who, who had diabetes or heart disease doesn't necessarily follow that you're going to develop those things. Um, and the older, I think, way of thinking is that yes, you know, if your parent had Alzheimer's, the chances are that you're going to develop it as well. I no longer believe that. I think that we have a lot more control in our by the things that we do and by what we eat, by what we drink, by the products we use, as I said earlier. Um, and um, I, you know, I just think that our mind is a very, very powerful thing. It's a powerful tool that we don't fully access. Um, I learned to meditate. I learned to be mindful. I learned to forgive. I learned to find joy in my life. I learned to love. I learned to be kind. I just, I feel every day with that. I start every day with a heart of gratitude. I had to learn to forgive a lot of people that, and, and ask for forgiveness too. Um, and so there are protocols that I put in place that began my journey down um, the holistic health route and healing. And I felt very led to that. And there were people that were put in my life that I think were put there on purpose. I don't think anything is by accident. Um, and, you know, I've gotten to a point now where um, every day is a good day to die. I think as a society, we don't talk about death and dying enough. Um, I think that, you know, no one's beat the odds 
on death. That's a statistic <laughs> of, you know, zero. Death everybody taxes, dies, right? right? <laughs> um, everybody dies. But I learned to to be okay with that. And and I learned to 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 meditate and to prepare myself every day for anything that could happen and believe using my mind that um, that I could get through anything. You know, if, if you if you change your perception about things, you can support and change your life and and your health in ways that I mean, unless you believe that, in ways that are miraculous and that are powerful. Yeah, and I like I said, I didn't quite make the extensive changes that you did, but actually, and you did kind of. I don't know if you know that kind of helped me along with that because, like I said, my son had given me the gift certificate to a healing center, and I hadn't mm-hmm. really used it. And then you actually gave me some books, and I started reading, and I think that was kind of like a little push to send me there. And so yeah. I thank you for that, but oh. and sharing that and. Um, adding, like I said, I never thought I could do yoga. It's like, you know, but that really it made a big difference mm-hmm. in the meditation. So can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about when well, you like when you go to that dark? Because I, I don't know. Do you still go to that dark place with having the cancer or are you completely over it? Or did meditation, anything help you get through that? Meditation has helped a great deal. Um, the This mind, body, spirit oncology coach that that I connected with teaches a course on survivorship on uh, for cancer survivors and it's called beat the odds and it's a 10-week course and i went through it 10 times so that's a hundred classes that i went through where i learned to embrace meditation where i learned to understand what faith and trust and hope was all about where i could practice these skills um and so yeah i i learned a death meditation that was amazing and so when i'm feeling um, and when I'm feeling like I'm, I'm losing a little bit of control of where I'm at with my life, I will go to this place that I imagined in my meditation, and it helps tremendously. Meditation is a very powerful tool. Um, so, um, is that... Yeah, yeah. Answer your question. <laughs> I yeah. didn't want to interrupt. Like I said, I'm so interested and really entranced by what you're saying. And so, Natasha, did you make the same changes, or were you already living pretty much um, healthy before Mom came? <laughs> that smile. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, a, a little bit of both. You know, um, I had, I, I was definitely probably healthier before. Uh, <laughs> she got sick, you know, stress does things to a person. Um, and that was a, definitely a, a stressful, you know, time in my life. But, um, I've been eating a plant-based diet for many, many years, you know, prior to her diagnosis. And, um, that was something that we would talk about on occasion, you know, just passing in life, you know, over the years and, um, nothing that she ever really embraced. Um, and so, you know, upon her diagnosis and treatment and all this research, you know, which by the way, her house is a library of these resources. When she says that she bought books and started doing research and learning things every day, there was books coming in the mail and she, guess what I learned? Guess what I learned? You know, and, and was very excited to be sharing this information and making these changes that I saw. So some of them, yes, I did have in place in my, in my life prior to, and I would do yoga and things like that. Um, a bit out of practice now, but, um, certainly she, she remains an inspiration to me now, you know, with the changes that she has made to, um, you know, maintain certain things, you know, lifestyle habits that I have and then improve in other areas for sure. 
Do you think your this diagnosis has brought the two of you closer together? Were you already close, or did this so much closer? closer. No (laughs) doubt, very, very close. Absolutely, it's been one of the gifts of this diagnosis was that it has brought us much closer as a family. Yeah, Um, yeah, real tight. And one, one, you know, as she was saying before, that she chooses to see it as a gift, you know, and as a blessing with this diagnosis. I think you know, for any perceive bad news that you can receive it you can choose to look at at it as a gift or not right so it's kind of goes back to that mind body spirit how am i going to process this how am i going to live with this how am i going to make the best of this and then having that positive mindset to help guide you through your healing with whatever the diagnosis is and the time that you have left to enjoy the people around you going through that journey right so that I think had a very big impact on how close we got. I also became Dr. Daughter. Um, that's one of my longstanding uh, six-year nicknames now. Um, f- first issue that comes up, runs it by me. I either have an answer or know right where to get the answer or we'll go research the answer. I'm happy to take that on for her um, because I feel like it's going to you know, help me help others as well. Not just her, but you know, anybody else with this diagnosis, other diagnoses, you know, other members of my family. Um, she did, you know, we built an addition onto the back of our house mm-hmm. and moved her in with us, you know, when she moved out from Indiana so that we, cause we didn't know how long she had, right? So we needed to be close to, to take care of her. So for six years, she's been there. You know, my son was 10, 10 when she got there. He's 16 yeah. now. So they've got to spend every single day together with him growing up. So that's a gift. That's brought us very, very close. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we can... I can make awesome dinners and say, hey, guess what I'm making tonight if you want to come grab some, you know, just little things like that, that after living in different states for, gosh, nearly 20 years has really, really made an impact just on how physically close we are, but the reason why we're, so, you know, so physically close now. Um, not a day goes by that we're not grateful or think about, you know, what brought us here and why and uh, how lucky I think we are to have this relationship now. Yeah, and it is like I said, it 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 does bring you gifts. I mean, it's like my Absolutely. parents lived in New Mexico, so they were far away. But when my mom was diagnosed, we brought her here, right. and I had eight, you know, eight years with her, and it was something we were close to begin with, but. I didn't realize how close we weren't until she actually came to live with us. Yeah, I guess you could say the same thing. Like <laughs> yeah. we we were close, but you don't realize that we weren't as close as you thought you were Yeah, until it, you're there. Right. Having that time being together every day. And it was, you know, the same for her. She got to watch her grandsons grow up. And so it was a gift. It's like to try to explain to people, they don't understand when, when you tell them, yeah, I have pancreatic cancer, but it, it's a gift. Yeah. It's not a death sentence. Right. And they don't, yeah. they just don't understand that. So how would you, how would you voice that to somebody to maybe somebody coming in that doesn't understand that or is thinking of it in a negative way? How would you try to encourage them or change that train of thought? Oh, my gosh. Well, I will tell you this, that the, the we live in a world of infinite possibilities. And, you know, if if people have an ear to hear it and a, and a, and a willingness to embrace it, um, people need to know that all manner of disease are reversible, can be healed. Your body is designed to heal. Uh, you just, you have to believe it. And so people get caught up in this, this deep fear. Um, and, and I was there. I was, I was sunk into this quagmire of fear and didn't think I would ever be able to crawl out of it. 
I think you have to have people around you to support you. If there's anything that I can share today, it is that pancreatic cancer, any autoimmune disease, any, you know, all manner of disease, whatever it is, is not a death sentence, doesn't have to be a death sentence, that you have more innate control over the processes that are going on within your body, within your system, within your mind, than you think. And believe it. Just embrace it and believe it. Yeah. And, and piggybacking off of that, I, I, I think the number one thing that I like to say to other, to other caregivers and also to survivors is the importance of advocating for yourself. And whether that's with your medical team, your oncologist, your surgeon, your holistic doctors, um, yourself, your belief in yourself, your family members, whatever type of avocation that you need to express, you, you need to do it. You know, I've definitely experienced a handful of, of folks that are stuck in that fear and feel alone. And through continual coaching of advocating for yourself, they've come out of it. And I've seen them come out of it and I've seen them feel more positive, more positive interacting with their teams, more positive in interacting with their family members. Um, and so if, if there's no other message that I could leave today is the importance of advocating for yourself and for caregivers to advocate for the person that they're taking care of if they're too weak or afraid in the moment to do, they will see that and they will mimic it and they will learn how to do it from you as a caregiver. Oh, very good. And you know, with all the with all the research and, and all the, the reading and that I did and all the listening to all these documentaries, um, Natasha is my caregiver. You know, she never she never judged me. She never she supported everything that I did because it was the space and the place where I was at. And she took me from wherever I was and she embraced that with me and she supported that. Um, and I think, you know, caregivers need to do that because not every patient is in the same space. Uh, when I was in fear, she supported that. Um, she helped me. Um, and when I started doing all of my research, she may have thought, oh, that's a little crazy. And that's, you know, I don't know what she thought, but she didn't share her thinking. Instead, she, she just supported it unquestionably. And that's what I needed. She was direct when she needed to be. When I came out of surgery, I remember I got a little bit lazy and needed some help and reminders that I needed to she get up and pain. move. It's okay. <laughs> and she would get me up and say, you need to walk and we're doing this now. Get up. Um, you know, which, which is what I, which Doctor is what daughter. I needed. There you go. That's my job. So she really, I mean, she was everything I needed her to be at the time that she was what she was doing. Um, and I was so very grateful for that. Um, so, you know, caregivers need to be at that level of support. Everybody's biochemistry is different. Everybody's reaction to things is different. People respond differently to different treatments. And and you need to listen to your body as a patient. You need to listen to your body and, and kind of do what your body is telling you to do. And as a caregiver, just to be okay with that in the patient and help support them through that. Yeah, very good advice because I know I think I think a lot of the times our caregivers, our support system, maybe help us survive and why we're still surviving. It's 
I know I've been lucky and have a really great support mm -hmm. system with Vic, my husband, my boys, friends, and people I didn't even know that liked yeah. or cared about me that have stepped up. And I know. have no doubt that I would not be alive today if it had not been for Natasha. You're going to make me yeah. cry. <laughs> Shoes, no. No, it, it, it's, it's very important. And also, you know, our caregivers have to also take care of themselves. And I know mm -hmm. I'm great at giving that advice, but I was very bad at following it. But it mm -hmm. is really, really important because we do. We need you. We need our caregivers and we need you to take care of yourself Absolutely. as well. And like I said, being in that, that end of it, too, I, I understand that, but didn't always follow my own best advice. So right. it's know. hard. It's very stressful, especially women who are caregivers we're naturally nurturers you know we want to take care and we take on so much it's very stressful somebody who wants to look into an alternative method how do they go about it because i mean there's so many weirdos out there <laughs> there's want, a lot of want to be careful so, yeah, yeah there you go i think i was trying to think of the word <laughs> i have problems like your mom with words sometimes and weirdos the only thing that yeah. popped up but yeah. no but there's just so much conflicting information out on the internet and this is true I just, I, you know, I think you hear a bit of information and then you just need to research it out. And you need to research it and research it and research it until it resonates with you and at a gut level. So people will, will say, you know, my gut instinct or, you know, I was intuitively, you know, blah, blah, blah. I call it the spirit. Whatever it is that leads you, that guides you um, and, and what resonates with you, people can call me. But... I would just say that you need, you do internet researching, you talk with other people that you know that are in that space, and then in the end, you settle with, with what feels right. Well, it does that make sense? Yeah, it does, yeah. actually. It, it does. And um, like I said, the only thing that kind of scares me a little bit is like doing any kind of internet research, but only because, you know, we find sometimes not the best information out there. But mm -hmm. I think there are ways to be able but to do are, that. But you can go old school with yeah. books. You can find good books yeah. on the internet. Those things with paper that you flip through. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, those things. Those yeah. things. Hopefully people that. still yeah. use them. But like I said, her, her house is a library on them now. But that, that, that's what has allowed her really to go down rabbit holes. Right? So you do the initial research. It kind of leads you in this one way. Uh, maybe it seems a little weird. You go down another way and, oh, that, that seems really credible. Let me check out those sources. Let me check out those sources. And she just went down rabbit hole after rabbit hole. And, you know countless countless hours you know and her her first several years in in recovery from this you know she she wasn't in a space where she could go back to work yet and be employed um mostly to the effects of the chemo still right mm -hmm. wearing mm -hmm. off and her mm -hmm. brain fog and things like that and energy levels and things um, but it allowed her to do all of this research and and you do go down rabbit holes until you find what resonates and enough makes sense from enough different sources that mm -hmm you know, you're able to kind of confirm it in your own mind and then start to put it into practice and see that play out in real life in your own system. And then that's where you have the faith in it because you've seen it, you've seen it affect you in reality. Right. And I, you know, one of the, one of, as Natasha said, you know, I would read something or hear something and then I would verify it by going deeper and, and finding other sources that substantiated what I was reading or what I what resonated with me. Um, there's an author who had a near-death experience who's, who's written a number of books, and, and you know, she always says, you know, when, when people come up to her and say that they're in remission, they use that term remission, she says that she tells them, remember your mission. That's what admission means, remember your mission. And for me, that really resonated, you know, because 
of course, the mission that I have is, you know, to be, to live every day and to be as healthy as I can be by embracing all of these various modalities and alternative um, therapies that I, that I went into as part of my healing journey. Well, it, it's, um, you've had a wonderful journey and it's been very interesting and I'm actually getting uh, a lot of messages here. So we have to actually have you come back sometime so we can deep dive more deeply into your alternative uh, way of life. And I would really hope you could share. I know it's difficult because you are working, which I think is really great. So it shows, you know, that there is, you know, there is a, an end to the light, right? You get there and you're working and living a very normal, healthy life. And mm-hmm. I'm very honored and privileged to know you and to love you both. And thank you for, for coming. Oh, we love you. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much for having oh, us. Thank you. A joy. Thank you. As long as you speak my name, I shall live forever. Today's episode is dedicated to Peter Peter Lemieux. So thank you. I thank just screwed you. up his last name, didn't I? <laughs> no, it was no, good. I Peter Lemieux. You said it right. That's right. I'm thinking the way you taught me to say it was Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> That's right, Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. So we're dedicating today to Peter. And thank you both for being thank here and talking you. and being honest. And I really do want to have you back because I'm getting text messages here. So We, we would be back. happy to come back. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Another reason to tune in each and every time to Living Hope, a weekly journey designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education, even some alternative ideas, perhaps, for those living with pancreatic cancer, sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they are dealing with it right now on a daily basis. If you'd like to share your story, please contact us here at the station, OC Talk Radio. Reach out to Roberta through social media. And if you or anyone you need needs help right now, we list them all the time. Hirschberg Center, Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. That one's the one we know most closely here in Orange County, 877, the number two, P-A-N-C-A-N. For the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network and for the OC Talk Radio Network, this is Paul Roberts thanking you for listening. Hoping you'll share this and hope you tune in for a little inspiration and hope right here as we stream live from the University of California Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center.